Don't I, I do ask if you can mercy left. That would help me out a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
Y'all are really kind. Oh, man. Okay, so, anyway, where am I? Okay, yeah, so, when's the last time that you were sitting or standing in line, you know, at a, at a coffee place and uh, scrolling your TikTok and someone went, looked at you and said, man, Jesus rocks. Right? Like, you know, it's, it's, I feel like when I read that, I have these pictures painted in my head that, like, people see us in our daily life, like, as if we're in a, some sort of, like, cage at a zoo, right? And people see us, oh, look what he's doing there. He built fire. Whoa! God is so good! You know, like, it's this idea of, like, people looking at us almost as if we're on display. You know what I'm saying? And so, I was like, man, you know, when's the last time that you contributed to a group project so well? There's someone on your, on your group that wasn't even a believer goes, can we just stop and take a praise break? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is, man, she's amazing. You know, like, when's the last time? I, we, this is, and I'm making a kind of poking fun at it, but, but in a real way, like, when's the last time we were in worship? You know, like, maybe at church or wherever it was, we just kind of laid it all out there for God. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, man, we sang some really cool songs now, by the way. You know, and the words of those songs, I mean, I always think about when I'm singing a song, do I actually mean this? This reflect my life, you know. Um, I, I thought about having actually having a mannequin up here on the stage. We have some around here, and we creep each other out from all the time. But uh, I think I had it at Beth's office for quite a while. But right when you walk to the door and you're unlocking it, you can see it just freaks out. It's pretty good. Uh, but so anyway, why do we why do we do this, right? Like, why is it? Um, like, what can fix this issue? If you don't feel like when people see you, they see what you do. That your life doesn't point to the Father, why? Yeah, yeah. Right? It's my life. Like, why? Um, how do we fix this? You see, like, as a dude, like, I am naturally a fixer. Like, my wife and I have, like, a written language where she does, she gives me a disclaimer. Like, hey, I want to talk to you about something. Okay, cool. I'm not in trouble, right? Like, and she goes, no, no, I just want to talk and I just need you to listen. Don't fix anything. Just listen. I said, okay. And then my email, Coca Melon's on the TV. I'm like, Brandon? Like, yeah? And she has to turn the TV off because I'm a child. And, and so I'm listening. And the whole time she's talking, I'm doing exactly what she said. I'm listening. I'm thinking of a million ways to fix it. And I'm not going to say one. You know what I'm saying? And, and I listen to what she's done. I said, man, that must be so hard. Mm. I give her a hug, you know, and just resist the impulse and walk away. Right? It's like it's this kind of language that we have. And, oh, how does that make you feel? Right? That what, that's, what you, that's what you want, right, Pam? When you tell Jonathan? Or is Jonathan the one that says, I just need you to listen? Right? So, uh, <laughs> so, when we read things like this, uh, hey, we're supposed to shine bright, brightly for the Lord. How do we, the body of Christ, the church, children of God, friends of God, followers of Christ, who the Bible describes as holy ones, who have been redeemed and set free by the blood of Jesus, we're su- supposed to shine brightly before men. And shine brightly means that everything that you and I do is to bring glory to the one we call Savior and Lord and Father and God, never Daddy God, right? <laughs> and I think, are we actually doing that? Like how? And if not, why? If, if I were to follow you around for a day at school, when you're at work, when you're studying, hanging with friends, scrolling your phone, watching TV, would I, at the close of the day, be closer to God? When I think, oh my gosh, God is so good. How great is the love of God that he lavishes upon us? Would this be the motivation? Would this be the trajectory of my heart after being in your presence? Would I feel like worshiping the creator of the heavens and the earth? If you followed me for around for a day, would you be filled with more joy? Would you be more joyful? Would you feel joy? Or, you know, would you walk away singing and shouting the glorious splendor and the majesty of God? Uh, how wonderful are your works in all the earth? You know, like this, what, is, what does it motivate you to? When the people of God spend time together, do they feel the peace and joy of being in the presence of God and want to spend more time with God because of it? Are they motivated to good works and bold love? Is the dominion of darkness pushed back? Are we moved to true worship? You know, Romans 12, 1 through 3 describes us as being living sacrifices, right? Holy, pleasing to the Lord. Uh, Colossians 3, 17 says, whatever you do, word or deed, do everything, right, unto the Father, through Jesus, with thanks, through Jesus. 
When the lost watch us, are they filled with wonder? Have they experienced the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? That there might actually be a God in heaven that loves them. Do the people closest to you know the love of the Father because they call you a friend? Do you know the love of God because of those you're sitting next to even right now? I believe this should be our aim. You know, if, if we are truly, um, if we are really out there and we're really saturating ourselves with the presence of God, shouldn't we look different? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to quote a dude. He's a reformist. I'm sorry, Scroggins. But, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, he talked about, like, he came up on stage one day, right? And he said, what if I came up on stage? And I said, hey, guys, I'm 20 minutes late. I'm so sorry I was late. I got hit by a Mack truck on the way in. It slowed me down. Man, it, it really hurt. What would you guys think? Either this dude's a, a, a liar or he's crazy. Right? Why? Because after you get by a Mack truck, what happens? Yeah. You look different. Yeah. Right? Like if you're a new creation in Christ, you're going to look different, right? Yeah. If you've been in the presence of God, like Moses, or you know what I mean? You may not have come out with white hair. You know, age does that, I guess. But, but you're going to look different, right? Yeah. So here's the thing, though. Here's what I think. I think that there are a lot of us out there, potentially, who are shining bright for Jesus. But I think many of us are just simply shining brightly. You see, you and I are Westerners, not like just like West Texasers, but like Westerners as it pertains to a worldview. And because of this, we tend to think and reason around the idea of individualism. For, and so for many of us, when we hear the gospel, what is the one thing we think of? Individual salvation. And it is correct, but it's also incomplete. Here's the beauty. The gospel is so much more than that. Right? We sang about this a moment ago. The gospel is the good news that God is redeeming everything. The good news of the gospel is that God has bound the enemy and he is taking all that is rightfully his back, which is everything. Uh, the sociologist by the, the name of James Davidson Hunter wrote a book called How to Change the World. It's an incredible book. It's a very long book. Um, but there's this quote in it that I just absolutely love. He says this. Indeed, redemption through Christ represents a reaffirmation of the creation mandate, not its annulment. When people are saved by God through faith in Christ, they are not only being saved from their sins, they are saved in order to resume the tasks mandated at creation. The task of caring for and cultivating a world that honors God and reflects his character and glory. So that task given to us at creation, where sin fractures what we build, fractures our systems, fractures everything seen and unseen, When we get pulled back into the life of God through salvation, he reorders us to participate in our original purpose, which is to push back darkness and establish order and light for the flourishing of humanity. That's good. good. Amen. So we have been pulled back into the life of God through Jesus to care for and cultivate a world that honors God and reflects his character and his glory. But as we can also see because of sin, everything that we've built for thousands of years is fractured. We've taken our purpose and made it from God to shine brightly for Jesus and turned our supreme purpose in life into simply shining brightly for self. Yeah. And I think this is why we're so, we're so, a lot of times, confused about life, our identity, God's will for our lives, the proverbial will, right? Why we struggle to pray, why we struggle to have deep, meaningful relationships, have no desire for reading God's word, struggle with sin. Because we've consumed ourselves with shining brightly for self, and Jesus is just the afterthought. And most of us don't even realize that this is the way that we're actually approaching life. We believe that Jesus saves us, but we are completely unaware of the magnitude of our role uh, in God's redemptive work in creation. We're all looking through this culture-clouded telescope. I mean, how many of us would be honest enough to admit tonight that even though you say you're following Jesus, you still mostly feel lost? You know what I mean? That's real. That's real talk, right? The problem is this. We often come into our faith under the pretense that I've accepted Jesus, right? And so what do we do? We have Jesus, and now we have our life. That's a problem. Okay? Because that's not what happens when salvation happens, right? 
-hmm. There's something that, that engrafts, right? You're made new. Yeah. But I know a lot of guys in my men's group we've talked about that come into this idea of accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and then three months go down the road, and they wonder if he ever accepted them. Am I pleasing to God? Does God love me? Because they didn't quite understand the great, grand picture of the gospel. That God is you responding to him. You're not accepting a friend request and hoping that he or sending one hoping he sends it back. Right? Yeah. Okay. So we first have to break this idea that there's Jesus in our life. Yeah. Right? Okay. So here's the problem. Western culture, the culture that you and I have grown up in has also discipled us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that you guys hear about this a lot, but what is discipleship? It's caught, not taught, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's the idea that you're always being discipled by something. Yes. Yeah. You're catching something at all times. Yeah. What you choose to place yourself with around, yeah. people, what you watch, you are being discipled, right? Something inside of you is turning with everything you think, say, do, yeah, yeah. so on. I don't have to explain that anymore. Um, but you're always catching something, and society is teaching us to look at life a particular way. Most of you, if not very recently, within the last couple of years for sure, dressed up in a cap and gown, sat amongst your peers, starry-eyed, filled with hope, wondered a, a life full of possibilities, right? You know what I'm talking about? That moment? You decorated your hat? You know what I'm saying? A little flat thing? What's that thing called? Just a cap? I don't know, whatever. Okay. But you undoubtedly heard the valedictorian or some successful graduation, motivational speaker, someone that owned a thousand convenience stores, whatever it is, utter a plethora of Western culture's favorite common sense sayings. This is what they sound like. Follow your heart. Chase your dreams, man. Right? Hey, you do you. Be true to yourself. Anyone want to vomit yet? Yeah. Live your truth. Go live out your greatness. Oh, what is that? Remember when I graduated and I heard that? I was like, dude, I'm still in my boxers till 10 a.m. every day. Like, what greatness is there? You, know? <laughs> oh, so, you are enough. No matter what, just be true to yourself. If you're discerned, the main point of any graduation ceremony being played out anywhere across America, you'd come up with, you would come up with something like this. You ready? The purpose of life is to discover yourself by looking deep within yourself and then express yourself to the world, right? No matter what anyone else says, family, friends, colleagues, previous generations, the old people, religious institutions, who cares what they say? You know, in Babe Ruth's advice to Benny in the Sandlot, he said, what do he say? Heroes are remembered, but legends never die. Follow your heart, kid. Right? We grew up on it. Yeah. Elsa and Frozen. My daughter, she's three, and she like, sings this song all the time. She sings, it's time to see what I can do. To test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Right? She doesn't say it like that. I'm not even going to try. But, and she says this, experiencing these extreme emotions caused by outside sources. I mean, she like froze an entire city, left them to die. Yeah. <laughs> and she's about to kill her sister. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I'm free. You know what? Let it go. Right? The whole thing. Y'all know how it goes. Can't hold it back anymore. Right? Let it go. Okay, don't worry. I thought we'd have a moment. But never mind. All right. So, what she said, turn away and slam the door, right? Um, I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. Well, that really bothered me anyway, right? So, but it's in everything. And if you really watch, like, we've been going back to my kids. We've been watching, like, you know, Three Ninjas and all those. Yeah. I was, my, that's my kids. I was born in the 1900s. So, yeah. that's all new. But anyway, did you know that this approach to life is called something? It's called the look-in approach to life. The look-in approach to life. The look-in approach to life said, uh, says the point of life is to look in. And discover who you are by figuring out your deepest desires. Then look around in order to display your newfound self to others who will affirm and support you. And finally, look up to something spiritual that might add meaning to your life or the inspiration you need. 
on the path to self-discovery and fulfillment. So look in first and foremost, look around for support and affirmation, and then look up for inspiration. And I wonder, if we're to be truly honest, is that true for any of us in this room? How do you make decisions? How do you determine what you want from life? Hmm. Right? Where do you turn when you're in trouble? What do you expect your friends to do for you? How do you define yourself and grow in authenticity? What do you expect out of your faith in Jesus? When someone questions your choices in life, do you get defensive? Or do you take it as a personal attack? You know, even if you come from another culture, you're going to soon find out, if you haven't already, there's this thing called the American dream, right? And I think even as Christians, most of us probably still take this approach to life and don't realize it. Uh, when we sing, God, I look to you, y'all you know that worship song? It's like, you know, it's God, I look to you to give me additional meaning and significance, right? <laughs> to life as I've defined. <laughs> I mean, what are we really singing, right? In other words, we benefit from the spiritual side of life when we want more purpose and meaning. But we're okay on our own, too. And how many of us must, how many of us approach life this way because it, but think that we're actually serving Jesus? Yeah. Like Elsa, we looked within to find our truest self by looking at our deepest desires and expressing them to the world, our newfound self, right? No matter who I hurt, because I'm being true to myself. And Jesus, I need you to inspire me to live my best life so I can express my uniqueness. Watch out, world. I really believe most Christians approach life this way and don't even realize it. You know, Paul says in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is my life, appears, right? That we're living one life in Christ. Ephesians 2 tells us that we're dead in our trespasses, but God made us alive. In verse 10, it tells us that we're his workmanship, a masterpiece created for good works that he prepared for us, that we might walk in what he created us to walk in, right? Catch it. We are his workmanship. Created for his purpose and our highest good. We aren't the master. We're the thing created for a purpose. Romans 12, 1-3 tells us that we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That we must rethink ourselves. Because uh, we are to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing the Lord. In essence, what he's saying here is we can be made a child of God but still think like a dead man. We can still carry culture's uh, rules of engagement, right? And approach to life and have Jesus and have issues that we need to be transformed. We know that there are two two ways to live life biblically. There's the flesh and there's the spirit. Paul and Peter both elaborate on these things, uh, but one is hostile to God. One is life and peace, right? To be friends with the world is to have your back turned to Jesus, right? That's the thing is we think, Oh, we're called to the world, so that means I'm going to be friends with everybody and fit in. No, 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 no. You're not called to be loved by the world. You're called to love them. Right? There's a difference. In the book of James, uh, we learned that to walk by faith is pleasing to the Lord, and without faith it is impossible to please God, and that faith without works is dead. Yet we rarely allow faith to lead us because we're too up in our feels and desires. We know that faith grows by hearing the words of Christ, that we have no deep longing for his words. That a life of prayer prayer is the secret, but rarely slow down long enough and get quiet enough to hear him whisper. That God's will for our lives is actually very simple according to 1 Thessalonians 4.3, is our sanctification. But instead our lives are still driven at the pace and direction set for us by our culture and our heart's desires. We know that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, according to Romans 8.1, but spend most of our time feeling condemned. We hear the words of Jesus say, come and die. And those who lose their lives for the sake of Christ will find it. Yet we avoid any type of inconvenience or sacrifice for Jesus or anyone else. Jesus says, blessed of the poor in spirit, yet we seek affirmation from everyone around us and long for insta-significance. We trade true community and deep meaningful relationships for flashy surface level gatherings and shallow friendships void of any commitment. 
We say we're living in the spirit, but where's the fruit? We say we're living in the spirit, but can't commit to anything that doesn't feed the flesh. I would say that as a majority, potentially, we are in desperate need of rethinking ourselves. The Bible's assessment of our natural state is that we are bent in a particular direction. We are drawn towards independence, not dependence on God. Our cells naturally turn inward like an ingrown toenail, pointed in the wrong direction, causing discomfort. The spirit and presence of God is here to make us dependent daily, to mark us for his glory. And that's what sets us apart. That when we go to work and when we go to school, when we hang out with our friends, what marks us is that we are as sick people, marked by the glory of God, sent for the glory of God in the world, because that's where God's going. That there's this selfish impulse that we have, right? That turns us inward, away from God. That's what the Bible calls sin. Yeah. Biblically, we see that sin manifests itself in a few ways. It's power, a condition, and in our personal choices. And this sin leads us ultimately to an altered self. You know, they say the concept of self is made up of four Ds. Design, definition, display, and desire. It leads us to an altered design, right? It leads us to reject God's design for us, in other words. Like children who don't want to be told to do by their parents. We choose our own path. We make our own way, right? We create our own identity. It leads us to an altered display. Sin changes the nature of self-display as well. The Bible claims our ultimate purpose is to display the awesome creativity and power of God. But since sin turns us inward, our self-display becomes a means of receiving glory for ourselves. It leads to, defo- to deformed desires. Sin deforms our desires. The world tells you to follow your heart no matter what, but as we saw earlier, your heart may lead you astray. The Bible actually warns against overtrusting your heart. What we need most is to be changed to the kind of person who wants the right things and desires the right things. And the last D definition, it leads us to an altered definition. Once again, the selfish impulse shows up causing us to pursue our own purpose and identity at the expense of others around us. We look in, we look in rather than up in order to define our lives, to define what our truth is. So the look-in approach to life makes be true to yourself the greatest commandment. Do y'all see this in society? Is this kind of can y'all see this? Does it make sense? Okay, cool. Making sure like I'm not just like kind of much random things here, but this be true to yourself commandment, right? The greatest commandment that the culture throws at us. It strengthens the selfish impulse that stands in contrast to God's greatest commandment. And what's that? To love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. What if like, literally, let's just think about this for just a moment. What if, even as Christians, we were looking in first and looking up last? Like, how would we know? You know, we have our own blind spots, right? It's hard to be your own coach. Well, when looking up is last in terms of priority, Christianity becomes more about finding a God who will get behind your personal project of being true to yourself. Another indicator becomes that your approach to life is absent of meaningful relationships. When looking around follows looking in, friendships grow shallower, connections dissolve, except this time the shallowness and superficiality involve God. And I can get into loads of pitfalls with the looking approach to life, right? It sounds awesome. It sounds like I'm going to make myself, right? I'm going to... You know, like, watch out, world, here I come. And I'm going to surround myself with everyone that will celebrate who I've chosen to be. Right? And then I go out. And what happens? Five years on the road, my desires change. What if people don't accept who I've decided to become? What if I have desires that are at war with each other within my heart? What if I know that some of my desires are bad? See? You can just see this, the road. It sounds really sweet at first. But we, it's, it just it doesn't work. A massive problem. Here's one of the, mass, the biggest problems I see with the looking approach. The world tries to sell it to us, but here's what it does. It never assumes that you're wrong. It never assumes that something you want is sinful. 
Rather, you just haven't found your true authentic self yet or asserted your independence enough yet. So the solution to sin becomes reassertion, which is when you take charge of your heart and stand your ground whatever path you've chosen for yourself. And if someone like a leader or a friend were to come to you and questions you or calls you to turn around, you assume they don't have your best interest at heart. Why? Because they are questioning your self-definition and your deepest desires. And to compromise or conform would be to deny yourself, which in turn would be the greatest threat to your personal happiness. You see, when you think the purpose of life is to find your deepest self and express it to the world, then all of your most significant relationships are recast in the light of self-fulfillment. Here's some examples. Ready for this? Marriage becomes about finding your soulmate. Someone who completes you. Someone who makes you happy. As you pursue and become the best version of yourself and whatever makes you unique. Friendship becomes a venue for mutual self-fulfillment. Where it's easy to take on new friendships or leave behind old ones because of their success and offering personal benefits. Religion. You know, the decision to look up after you've looked in and around may add a spiritual dimension to your life, but it's the life that you've already defined for yourself. Sure, you may go to church or join a small group, but you still see your faith the way a consumer sees a club or a gym. It exists to provide you with religious services and spiritual feelings. The teachings and activities are only as relevant so long as they better your way of life. You see, the end result of the look-in approach to life isn't the emptying of churches, but the filling of churches with people who believe they need spiritual assistance and being true to themselves. Religious practices don't disappear. They morph into something more adaptable and helpful in your quest for personal authenticity. Religion becomes less about shared beliefs and values and more about uniting people who all embrace faith on their own terms. The idea of faith based on something real and enduring and objective and true for everyone doesn't make much sense in this kind of world. Faith becomes a subjective thing, a feeling that serves as an aid in your personal pursuit of self-expression and self-fulfillment. The Bible inverts this common sense way of thinking. The Bible teaches us to look up first. And strangely, it's through this counterintuitive approach that we find our truest self. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You see, look up and God is God. We were made to love and enjoy him. Yeah. Look in and you are God. The world exists to love and enjoy you. Start by, starting by looking up changes the picture completely. Yes, God is a helper in times of need, but he's not some sort of cosmic bellhop ready to swoop down and comfort you whenever you need him, while otherwise remaining completely uninvolved in your life. That's not the picture we get from the Bible. The Bible informs us that there is meaning and purpose in life and in suffering. There's meaning and purpose in all the setbacks and all the leaps forward. There's meaning and purpose in all the events of history and in all your personal choices and your own life journey. The Bible takes this cosmic view of things and points to a God who created the world. The Bible leaves no doubt that God is at the blazing center of all things, just like the sun, and we're orbiting around him. He's at the center. He's the very definition of perfection. He's holy, which is interesting because holy means, it's a word that means he is utterly unique, Mm -hmm. set apart, different from anything else. And he's the very meaning of love. And funny enough, he's called us to the same thing. See, to to discover our truest self, we must first recognize that there's a powerful and personal God who created the world, who loves what he's created, and who has designed things to work in a specific way. We don't get to choose that. So what is the right way? How, How should I approach life? It's just simply reversing the world's order, right? So how does a look-up approach change the way we define ourselves, the way we determine our desires, the way we display ourselves? It's understanding that we find our truest self in relation to him. Being made in the image of God says something profound about our identity and purpose. We have worth and value because we reflect the God who made us. We have purpose because 
We were made to reflect him in our work and in our rest, through our creativity and authority. In our relationship to others and to the world, we reflect that God who created us out of love. That means ultimately you're not self-creating. You're God-created. You're not self-defining. You're God-defined. In other words, culture assumes you're free to create yourself, design yourself, and define yourself as you chase your deepest desires. But the Bible starts off by saying you're already created, designed, and defined. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I kind of find a lot of joy in that. Yeah. Right? Knowing that I don't have to create myself, and that even before I was born, I was known and loved by God. That's a freeing position to take. That's a freeing truth, right? An ultimate reality. But this approach, if we're going to look up, requires us to radically rethink ourselves and our purpose in life. Not only will we have to rethink our identity, but also we need to develop those practices and habits to reinforce that new direction, which is the spiritual disciplines you've been talking about. The entire purpose of spiritual disciplines is not legalism, right? It's not not just like a set of actions we're going to go do because... This makes us a good person. They reorient our life to look up and and see Jesus. And and it it pulls us out of the Romans 1 problem of everything that we do terminating on the creation itself. Right? But we see creation and and everything points back to God again. Right? It just rolls right past. We're giving glory to him in heaven. And 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 it pulls us and brings us into this attitude of worship. Unlike the look-in approach that elevates us, the look-up approach starts by demoting us. God is God and we are not. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, it diagnoses us, right? That selfish impulse that we call sin that makes all of us selfish. And as much as this may upset us that we've been demoted, the truth is that the Bible isn't interested in giving us what we want as much as it's focused on giving us what we need. Can we agree with that? Yeah. It's hard to, it's, I don't like that that much, but it's absolutely true. And and the more you know God, the more you love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Again, we must realize that this is the purpose of man, right? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yeah. Yeah. God is most glorified in us when we are the most satisfied in him. That's good, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we aren't meant for grudging obedience to God without relationship. Yeah. But to enjoy him. This implies that we are to know him. Our ultimate joy is part of this picture. And it's at stake if we don't get this. And if you don't look up first, here's what happens. You'll make God in your image rather than accept that you're made in his. You'll define God as you want him to be rather than discover God as he actually is. That's why it's hard to worship. That's why we look like mannequins. We're worshiping the God we created. Of course I'm not going to be motivated to worship. But if I accept God for who he is, that's worthy worship. And here's where desires come in, okay? Our deepest desires don't have to be unearthed in some sort of self-focused project. They are revealed in the Bible. Our deepest desire is to love and be loved, to know know and be known, and to give ourselves totally love to God and to one another. God has designed us in his image and the display that matters most for all human beings is how we fulfill our purpose in reflecting him. This truth is echoed once again. You know, we, we talked about Romans 12 calling to be a, a living sacrifice and Colossians when it talks about in everything that we do word or deed, right? So where does this whole sin thing come in? Kind of fractured everything, made everything kind of suck. Well, it has symptoms. Sin keeps us from being satisfied. It brings about feelings of guilt and unworthiness. How many of you guys ever felt that? Felt condemned? You know what I've learned? When my voice is the loudest, that's when I feel most condemned. See, condemnation is vague. Conviction is specific. Conviction is the the mercy and the grace of God saying, hey, this isn't good. Right? Condemnation accuses the person. It says this is who you are. Right? When we can learn to, to distinguish between conviction, the voice of the Lord, and our thoughts, right? What helps us do that is by looking up first. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm about to stop from going on that tangent. The look-up solution to sin is something radically and refreshingly different than the look-in approach, which is reassertion. It's repentance. It's the moment that you doubt yourself instead of trust yourself. When you have your eyes open to the wrong steps you've taken and the bad desires that you've chased. When you recognize the ways in which your words and actions have actually hurt the people around you. It's when your heart sinks to the thought that I'm the problem, but then rises at the realization that I am not bound to this path that I've been on, that I can turn around. It's when you realize the solution to your biggest problems is not to look in, but to look up. Because the source of your biggest problems is not your own self-defined failures, but in the self-made mess created by your independence from the God who made you in the first place. Repentance is what separates the look-in from the look-up approach. It's the key difference. For example, you may be a religious person who attends church regularly. You may think your approach to life is in line with the Bible, that you're a look-up kind of person. But just remember this, going to church, reading your Bible, singing worship songs, these activities can still be present in the life of someone whose approach to life is looking. Then around, and then up last. It's possible to busy yourself with countless religious activities, yet still adopt the mindset that makes religion just another way of affirming your own self-definition and deepest desires. For Jesus to repent means to move from looking in as the starting point of your life to looking up. Two, you reject the selfish impulse to make God just a little small player in your personal agenda. You don't bring God into your dream for your life. Instead, you bring yourself in line with God's dream for his world. He's not part of your personal kingdom or success story. You accept his kingdom agenda and rethink success by his definition of faithfulness. This path that Jesus proposed was fundamentally at odds with the way all the people around him saw the world. And it's obviously only gotten more divided, right? More in opposition. The path that Jesus proposed was fundamentally at odds with it. And we see that God's blessing didn't fall on the self-driven and self-satisfied. But on those who wept over the state of their own hearts. The people flourishing according to God's design were those who hungered, not for riches, not for personal glory, but for justice and goodness. Who showed mercy, who are known for gentleness and kindness. Who stepped into conflicts and took fire from both sides because they extended their arms to make peace. Jesus says the way you find yourself is to lose it. Jesus asks what good is it if you gain everything you want in this entire world, but you lose your soul. When he does speak of looking within ourselves, he tells us that evil isn't just something that happens to us. It's something that kind of bubbles up from within us. All our words, including the harmful and untruthful ones, are the overflow of our hearts. From our hearts come our actions. So follow my heart, huh? Sounds like real good advice now, doesn't it? When you look closely at the teachings of Jesus, you don't get a sense of the purpose of life is to go off on your own. Look into your heart. Discover who you want to be. And then emerge triumphantly with a self that deserves affirmation. Instead, you come in contact with a person filled with unmovable conviction. And unmistakable compassion. He calls and he commands. He lays out his way of life for us and presses for a life-altering decision to follow him. He makes demands on us and calls us to give up certain things. And in all this gives us the impression that obeying his call will free us, not shackle us. So we become conditioned to think that learning to love yourself is an important step on the road to emotional health. And happiness. And, and of course it's healthy about it's a, it's healthy to evaluate your self-worth and, and value as people made the image of God. That's ner- that's necessary to flourish. Yeah. But more often than not, self-love in scripture is not a path towards freedom and happiness, mm. but a cul-de-sac that leads us around in circles of frustration. Yeah. Self-love easily gives into the selfish impulse that mark it, that is the mark of sin. So for this reason, and Jonathan, if you want to come up, man, like, you can't, I'm going to wrap up real quick, you know, a couple more things, but it says, for this reason, Jesus tells us that we must walk the way of self-sacrifice, yeah. a road marked by dying daily to our old self as we are transformed as his followers. Yeah. Jesus sweeps away all preconceived notions about high self-esteem, leading to happiness, and claims instead 
that true life requires dying to yourself and to all the desires that are bad for you and bad for the world. Following Jesus means dying to the approach in which you are the maker of meaning and the definer of your life. As one Bible teacher puts it, the self we are to deny, disown, and crucify is our fallen self. Everything within us that is incompatible with Jesus Christ. The self that we are to affirm and value is our created self. Everything within us that is compatible with Jesus Christ. True self-denial is not the road to self-destruction, but the road to self-discovery. So while the world tells us to look in and find what makes us unique and put it on display for the world to see and celebrate and respect you, Jesus condemns the desire to be seen as respectable or to do good things in order to be seen by others and affirmed. He shows us that the good way of displaying ourselves is when our acts of love and mercy and justice reflect the character of God. So that when people see your goodness, they praise him. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But how do we do that? The good news is that we find in the Bible that is that God isn't just interested in helping us. He's committed to rescuing us. And it's not what Jesus said that we find the ultimate way of rethinking ourselves, but in what he did for us. That's what makes looking up even possible. You know, the letters near the end of the Bible describe the life of faith in terms of your old self and your new self. Implying that there's been a foundational and fundamental change in your orientation to life. You no longer look inside to find yourself and change yourself. You look up to God to determine your destiny. You look to God in dependence and in faith. You look to God to see who you're meant to be. You look to God to discover how to live. Right? Here's the challenge. In directing our heart to God as our deepest desire. Rethinking yourself means you'll have to refuse to submit to the loudest desires of your heart and that you recognize the need to find and develop new desires, new goals, and a new purpose in life. Common sense tells you, right? It tells us, hey, follow your heart, man. The Bible says you should direct your heart. I know it's not easy to shift your paradigm, but it's 100% possible to Jesus. And it's a lifelong process. As you reorient your life to look up first, know that in the moments of difficulty, confusion, or loss, God is stripping you of all the things that you reach for instead of Him. He's cutting and cleaning and crafting your life so it can shine the light of His glory. So don't be afraid when this happens. And don't give up. He is coming to reclaim His own. And He will not stop until you become your truest self. I want to say that one more time. He won't stop until you become your truest self. It's not something you do for yourself. It's something He does. And this is why we need faith. We trust that the calling of God to become who He has made us to be is infinitely better than anything we could dream of at this moment. And can I tell you this, though? You cannot do it alone. Looking up of looking it will be nearly impossible unless you surround yourself with people that have the same outlook in life as you. That's why we need the church. That's why you need Chi Alpha. You will need to forge deeper relationships. To the point that you're uncomfortable. The mission of the church and the mission of Chi Alpha, as I know these guys in their heart, is that you they, this thing that you're part of the night is bigger, right, than your own personal project for bettering yourself. That's not what this is about. The church exists for the glory of God and the good of the world. We look up to God and then around to our neighbors in order to show and share the love of Jesus. So whenever you hear common sense wisdom of the world telling you to chase your dreams, follow your heart, telling you that you are enough, and that you should be true to yourself, I want you to remember the greater adventure. And that's this. To be true to your future self. To know that you aren't enough, but Jesus is. To follow the heart of God and to chase the dream that He has for the world. Shine brightly before men 
so that they see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen? Father God, we come before you, Lord, and I just thank you for tonight. Lord, I thank you for every student in this building. Lord, I thank you for every leader. Lord, I thank you, Father, that, Lord, you're working in our hearts and you're moving, Father. I pray that your spirit, Lord, would uh, just speak to us intimately, Father. That we'd hear your still, small voice. Lord, that you begin to show us, even now, what perspective in life that we've taken thus far. Has our discipleship of culture in the world really impacted our ability to follow you? Are our, our, our desires in conflict with our faith? Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be men and women in this room that live one life in Christ. That everywhere we go, we point people to you. That people would know the love of the Father and the joy of the Father and the peace of the Father and the, because we're in the room. Because everywhere we go, we push back the dominion of darkness. And we shine your glorious light. Lord, shape us, mold us, make us into who you called us to be, Father. We know that the identity that you've given us is the best thing for us. And that, that identity has a purpose attached to it, Father. And Lord, we want you, Lord. We want you to define us. Lord, we submit our hearts to you. We submit our desires to you. We submit our will to you. Our everything, Father, we lay it at your feet. And we say, make me new creation. Lord, have your way in me. We love you, Jesus. We pray this all in your son's perfect name. Amen. So I guess the band's going to play through a song. If you guys, just for a moment, maybe think, let the Lord speak to you. As, as they sing, maybe there's something the Lord wants you to lay down. There's one step you can take tonight. You start working towards who God created you to be.